This is Friends and Benefits, a podcast hosted by Reward Strategy. And you may have guessed it, they're Friends and Benefits. Stay tuned to find out what's hot, what's not, and what's happening in the world of pay and reward. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the latest episode of the Friends in Benefits podcast with myself, Jade Burke, Deputy Editor of Reward Strategy. Today with me, we have Liz Lay, the Corporate Finance and Admin Manager at Aldi UK and Chair of the Board of Directors at the CIPP. Now, I'm sure everyone listening today is familiar with the CIPP and, of course, the supermarket chain Aldi. And today we're going to find out how these two roles work alongside one another for Liz. But to kick off, I'd love to welcome you, Liz. So thank you so much for taking part in this latest episode. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Jade. Thank you for having me on. No problem at all. You're very welcome. Excited to get stuck in and ask you some of these uh, these questions we've come up with together. So to kick off on that note, I wanted to ask how you came to work in the world of payroll and finances. Okay, so starting off from a very young age, I went to college after I left school to study for the diploma in business management. I knew then that I wanted to work in an office environment because I used to love working using my dad's calculator. My first job was then as an office clerk in a small engineering company. I did everything there from being the receptionist through to the payroll clerk, as they were called back then. And that was where it all started. Oh, fantastic. Sounds uh, like you had a nice start to it then, working like that. It did, yes. I mean, it was all very manual back then using Kalamazoo sheets. So it certainly changed a lot since. Gosh, yeah, definitely. The things everyone's doing now is it's completely different. And I guess that actually is quite a nice way to lead on to the next question I was going to ask you is, was how you've seen the industry change and evolve throughout your career? So I guess like calculators, are they a bit of a thing of the past now? I still get the calculator out, <laughs> although there is the calculator on the, on the la- on, you know, on computers and so forth. And you've got the Excel worksheets that do all the manual formulas and and all sorts, pivot tables and everything for you. But certainly, yeah, I mean, the world's changing all the time. We've got the continuing introduction of new technology for payroll and and finance, which has changed within it. We've got so many more tools that we used to have, which are developing constantly and changing the way that we work. Organisations have to change to be able to keep up with with the external factors and, and to make sure that we're efficient and effective. When you think back from the Kalamazoo sheets, you know, it's definitely lots more technology in the cloud, automatic robotic process automation, you know, AI, lots, lots involved now. And HMRC now also rely more on employers with the you know, payrolling of benefits, real-time information. We've got the apprenticeship levy, which was brought in for employers to, to use the CJRS of more recent. So we constantly see lots of changes and more reliance on payroll by HMRC. Of course, yeah. And it, I mean, I guess more than ever, the, the industry has changed in the last two, two to three years now with, with the development of working from home, remote working and all of that. So it's really had to shift to meet the, the new needs of the workforce, hasn't it? It has. Yes, definitely. It, there, there's never a dull moment in payroll. There's always something coming along um, which we have to look at uh, and take into account and change how we work to to process and take on board. Absolutely. 
with your current role, I guess, within Audi, what drew you to that? You know, what interested you with within that role? I think I've had a fairly diverse career across the payroll subject area. And my role at Audi encapsulates all of the skills that I've gained across those those different roles. I cover areas from leadership through to coaching, looking at technical payroll, right through to strategy and budgets and project management. And so it is really varied and allows me to use all of the skills that that I've built up over the years. Oh, brilliant. Sounds good. Like in terms of, I guess, broadening your skill set and all of that sort of thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. And of course, you, you're always learning. You know, every day is a, <laughs> you're learning yeah. still. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure no two days are the same, which is even better because you're you're constantly learning. Definitely not. Yeah, totally <laughs> different all the time. For sure. So I know I mentioned in the opening about your role within the CIPP. So I wanted to ask you how your position within the the, the CIPP, how does that slot in alongside your current role? Well, being chair on the board for the CIPP, it's very much a strategic position and an ambassadorial role. So it's supporting, developing, promoting the membership. Working within the payroll industry in my day job gives me the knowledge to support the industry in the planning and the working that they do towards its direction of travel and interaction with members, organisations and international associates. On the other side of that, then working with the Institute in in leading the way helps me to keep up to date with changes that are coming along, developments that are taking place in the industry that I'm then able to use and share in my current role. Oh, fantastic. So it's, well, it works really nicely alongside that then, doesn't it, in terms of your role at Audi and then being at the CIPP? Yes, that's right. Yes. Benefits to both, I would say. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I guess from like a wider perspective for other payroll professionals, why would you say that they should work with bodies like the CIPP? You know, what are the benefits for them? Well, I'd probably ask you how much time you've got here, but uh, (laughs) to narrow it down slightly, I've been linked and associated with the Institute for, for, for more years than, than a lot, uh, certainly 20 years plus. And within the many different and varied roles that I've had, whether I've worked for other payroll organisations or employers, and they've all been from various different industries and and various different sizes, I've always had the CIPP there to turn to for support. So I've been able to utilise the advice line. I've been able to undertake training courses to update or to refresh, refresh my knowledge undertaking qualifications to help develop my skills. So being a lecturer, a tutor, I've been an apprenticeship assessor for the for the Institute, which has allowed me to give back to others within the industry. And if I've got any other payroll requirements, I know that the CIPP is there with a support framework for which my membership is one of the key elements there. Oh, fantastic. So, I mean, like you said there, there's so many different things that it can offer. I guess putting you on the spot a little bit here, but what is there a different or type of qualification that they do offer that really resonates with you? I would say the qualification, certainly the you've got the foundation degree in payroll management. That probably resonates me, with me more than the others, because as well as attaining it myself, I was also, I was also a tutor on that one for more than, you know, for, for about 20 years. 
so I've worked with lots and lots of students over lots of different organisations um, and supported them in attaining that qualification. So to me, that's probably the one that resonates the most, even though I have gone on and successfully passed the, the, the master's degree in payroll and business management as well myself. Yeah, fantastic. And it's nice to hear that there is that sort of uptick and or uptake, should I say, that people are really interested in these qualifications and taking it on because some of those things seems to be getting people into payroll can be quite a struggle. I know we've come across that at different events where we've hosted and spoke to payroll professionals like yourselves and, and they do say that it seems to be quite difficult, especially to get younger people into it. So it's, it's good to hear that there is that interest. Definitely. And, and you know, for the for the younger people, there's also the apprenticeship as well. So, you know, some companies are more supportive of the apprenticeship than others, but it is certainly there for, for newcomers into the industry and getting the getting the younger employees on board with the learning for that. Yeah, for sure. That's fantastic to hear. And um, I'm going to just change the subject slightly just to focus a little bit on unions because We've seen this quite a lot in the in the news recently uh, with, with different sort of uh, industries going on strike. I know we just had the rail workers um, and then over the past year, we've also had unions getting involved with firms such as Asda and BT due to pay gap disputes and things like that. So I wanted to get your thoughts on why perhaps you think they might be growing in popularity. Or, you know, Why do you think we're seeing unions pop up more than ever now? Is it I guess because we've got this cost of living crisis, people need extra money uh, to manage that. And I guess we've also got a bit of a, a, a labour crisis as well in terms of the competitiveness of, of that. So, yeah, I wondered what your thoughts were. I think publicity around large firms may have raised an awareness. So it isn't necessarily that union memberships are increasing. We're just more aware of unions due to the recent news stories. So the rail strikes are the most popular at the moment. And there's talk of upcoming airstrikes as well. These strikes are going to impact everyone. So we are more naturally more conscious of them. We've got the economic pressures, cost of living crisis, a collective viewpoint of requiring fairness and equality in the workplace and modernising of contracts. So quite a lot going on that is you know, raising publicity around, around unions. That there's the knock-on effect from COVID where workers join unions to protect their jobs and defend their rights and keep their workplaces safe. When you look at the proportion of UK employees, though, who were trade union members, that actually fell to 23.1% in 2021, down from 23.7% in 2020. And the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, Bees, published their trade union membership 2021 statistical bulletin in May which evidence that membership levels have actually fallen for the first time after four consecutive years of growth. So generally, it is the industries who have got higher membership among employees who also have a high proportion of union presence in their workplace. So we're looking at education, public administration and defence and human health and social work. Yeah, those statistics you just mentioned are quite interesting, aren't they? Because I guess you'd assume they would have gone up because we're seeing this interest and like you say in the news. So it's, yeah, it's interesting to hear that they're actually falling 
It is. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, you know, because of the news, they do feel as though they are more in the spotlight and they are on the increase. But that that's not the not the way it is. Exactly. Exactly. And do you think I guess with 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 pay disputes and things like that, what advice would you offer employees who are disputing the pay they're on? What what could they do to, I guess, manage that or, or, or go to their employer to, to, to talk about it like openly and honestly and that where it doesn't sort of result in a strike, for example? Well, I've worked in a number of organisations where they have staff associations. Um, so you get individuals within organisations who support the majority of the employees and they'll approach and speak with the employer similar to like a union would so you know they'll they'll get the views of the workforce of the majority and take those to the employer and negotiate with the employer yeah which might be a little bit more of a or more of a beneficial way maybe to go about it you know it's it's difficult to say isn't it though you just don't know what it would is. work no it it depends on the organization yeah. type of organization and the size of as well of course yeah absolutely it's different for everything isn't it it is yes on that note do you think that employers should work alongside unions and embrace their work for I guess action to happen in a positive light or or to to make change for the better for their workforce I think again it's dependent upon the organization uh, and the size of the you know the organization the industry which it's in as I say I've predominantly worked for organizations where they have staff associations if employers do recognise a union or a staff association in the workplace, then they've got certain rules that they have to follow. So they have to give information in advance to help with any collective bargaining. They've got to inform and consult about major changes in the workplace. They'll need to follow proper procedures. And if they're taking subscriptions straight from their employees' pay, those procedures will need to be in place. And they'll need to let any reps and members have time off for related activities. So you've got a union that's there to protect the workers. So employers should ensure that both parties are on the same page, that they're working together for the greater good of the workers and that they don't discriminate against any worker because they are in a union or a staff association and they all work alongside so that there's some loyalty there as well. Absolutely. Like you say, it just depends on on so many different variables, doesn't it? And, and what would work. So it's uh, I think time will tell definitely because like you say, I know you mentioned, I think that some like aviation staff will potentially be striking as well in the next maybe few weeks or months. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how it pans out and, and, and how they sort of manage these payroll disputes. Yes. Yes, definitely. Fantastic. Well, we are just going to take a very quick ad break where we're going to be discussing learning and development in payroll shortly with Liz. So please do stick with us um, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Hi there, it's Kitty Wood here reporting for Reward Strategy. I just want to let you know that the Reward and Payroll Summit is returning for 2022, taking place on the 17th of November at the Hilton London Bankside. On the day, topics that will be discussed include whether the reward offering has become too niche, the future of work and the four-day work week, pay transparency and equal pay, as well as financial well-being in the workplace. Some fantastic speakers will also be appearing from brands such as Sony and IKEA. You can find the full agenda online. We hope to see you there, but for now, let's get back to listening to Friends in Benefits. And we're back after that quick break. 
So as I mentioned, we're going to be taking a little bit of a, a deep dive into learning and development now. So Liz, I wanted to ask you what key areas you think payrollers should explore when it comes to learning and development? Well, I think anyone working in payroll needs to know the basics. They need to know how to calculate tax, national insurance and statutory payments, even if they're not working at at the operational level. That knowledge can be gained by completing the payroll technician certificate or attending a relevant short course. And in the ever-changing world of payroll, to me, it's always vital to know what changes are planned and how they're going to impact the department and the organisation. Again, it could be a payroll update course, which helps to achieve that. It could be listening to various podcasts or attending webinars. Going back to being a member of the CIPP, you would receive weekly updates. You'd get the professional magazine and there's a whole host of other resources out there to help support you with your learning and keep you up to date. Yeah, definitely. And in particular, would you say, I know you've mentioned a bit of technology there in in that previous question we were talking about there, but would you say that understanding tech more would be beneficial to the profession? Just so I guess it could make it a little bit more seamless, I guess, cut down a few admin tasks as well. You know, why, why should it be embraced? I think there's, there's certainly many different roles and avenues that a payroll pre- professional can take, um, including somewhere there's a greater understanding of the tech that's required and others where there's less so. Being able to use technology, to me, is a, as a must, as a minimum in today's, today's world. You know, when you look at technology within our, within our roles, we use emails, we use Microsoft products, you've got Word, Excel, PowerPoint, we use MS Teams and other communication platforms, we use customer relationship management tools, there's HR platforms, there's time and attendance tools, and they're just some of the examples of the technology that we use amongst a vast variety of payroll platforms that are available And we use those on a day-to-day basis. So knowing how to use them, being technology literate, to me, is a must. But there are others who love the technology side of things and want to go deeper into the technology. But you can't be an expert at at everything, uh, you know, and you do need specialists in certain areas. But knowing how to use it is a starting point. Of course. And I think I think text on those things are like every, every day there seems to be something new, doesn't there, regardless of, I guess, what industry you're in. So even like for payrollers, I'm sure like every day there's something new to learn in regards to tech. And it's just, I guess, getting a gist of that and, and keeping up to date with everything. Definitely. And, you know, there's always the Internet as well. So browsing the Internet and doing a search when when you can't find an answer for something or you're trying to explain something is always really helpful and, and easy and at hand. Oh, yeah, 100%. Always. I think we all rely on a little bit of a search engine, don't we, just to help us out? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, and I know when we've been chatting before the podcast, Liz, I know you've got some thoughts on strategy in payroll, as it's a particularly important area, especially with the use of robotic process automation now changing. So what are your thoughts on that? I think the way we work in payroll is changing all the time. 
the development and introductions of systems is constantly moving. Self-service is increasing. And like you say, robotic process automation is becoming more popular and being incorporated more with that change of technology. I think the use of, of robotic process automation creates efficiencies. It brings about time savings to processes. And so it, it's thinking about and looking at the time that you've saved with the introduction of those, those processes that can be used to identify different ways that the payroll can then add further value to the business, whether that be by building and strengthening relationships across the business, working with other departments to identify what management information can be provided to help support them more, identifying cost savings by reviewing third-party benefit provisions, and so on, really. So there are lots of ways which payroll can add value to a business. And by introducing efficiencies within the department, they can utilise those more. Of course, 100%. And then on that note, I guess, how else can payroll teams strategize? What tips would you suggest for, for them? I would say to think outside of the box and think ahead. We need to be considering the younger generation coming into the workforce and what and how they're going to expect to work. Uh, you've got the, the younger generation now that are growing up with advanced technology, um, using artificial intelligence as the norm at home, where they're able to find information at their fingertips. And I think organisations will need to adapt and change as the generations across the workforce change. So really thinking to the future and thinking how, how work is going to change when the younger generation starts to come in on board. Most definitely. And I think that's probably something that we should all 100% be thinking about in terms of the future of the workforce and how new generations are going to be coming in and how it might look in, I don't know, 10 years time, for example. That's right. I mean, when you look at uh, people in the home, they're talking to Alexa all the time. You know, how, how is it going to be in the workplace? Most definitely. It'll be an interesting one, I'm sure. Yes, yes. I'm sure there's lots of changes still to come. Yes, I would have thought so. And um, we come across on Reward Strategy some research by Glassdoor recently, which found that pay secrecy is driving inequality in the workplace, as UK employees are often left in the dark when it comes to what individuals are earning. So yes. would you say that companies should be more open about salaries? Because there is still a bit of secrecy, isn't there, in terms of this? There is. It, 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 it's a, I'd say it's a, it's a difficult subject. Employees discussing their salaries with each other. It isn't an illegal practice, even though there's some employers who like to include it in the contracts and say that it, it cannot be discussed. There are a number of factors to consider when you're reviewing and setting salaries. But I do believe that companies should be open and transparent about the salaries, the bonuses and the performance related payments that they make. Yeah, and definitely some companies are starting to do that as well now and, and actually sharing more on job adverts and things like that. So there is a bit more transparency. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I was going to ask you why you're, what, why do you think it is still a taboo subject? You know, what do you think is, is keeping that sort of label attached to being open about salaries? I think uh, 
some people are better at negotiating a higher salary for themselves than others. Certainly where colleagues are in the same role and they find out that they're on different salaries and there's no explainable reason to it, then it can lead to mistrust of the employer, there'll be reduced morale, there'll be a reduction in work output and it will lead to an increase in turnover. Yeah, definitely. And I think like like you said, it it has got benefits to it as well, doesn't it? But I suppose there are those issues that, that employers would need to be aware of as well. Yes. Yes, definitely. As I say, it is a difficult subject, but it is one where we should be more transparent and more open with the salaries on offer and the salaries that are being paid for the role. Yeah, I agree. And I know we've obviously got things like the gender pay gap reporting, which does hold companies to account. So do you think that that is enough in terms of to, to build better transparency? I think we are seeing more initiatives around pay transparency. There was Women's Day on in 2022, earlier in the year, a new transparency initiative was launched where employers participating in a pilot scheme were required to list salary details on job adverts and to stop inqu- inquiring about salary history during the recruitment process. It's hoped that this will give women a firm footing for negotiating pay and closing salary gaps to tackle inequality. Employers can implement several actions which have been tested in real world settings. They've been found to have a positive impact on the pay gap and they include multiple women in shortlists for recruitment and promotions, using skill-based assessment tasks in recruitment, using structured interviews for recruitment and promotions, encouraging salary negotiation by showing the salary range, introducing transparency to promotion, pay and reward processes and adopting diversity managers and or diversity task forces. So from 2017, if an employer had a headcount of 250 or more, then we were looking at the gender pay gap reporting where they had to had the snapshot date to comply with the regulations on gender pay gap reporting. So there's quite a lot of in terms of what you've listed there, there's quite a lot of options in terms of, I guess, getting that transparency out there. Yes, there is. Yes, I yeah. think we'll see more of those. Yeah, for sure. And we are seeing more initiatives crop up as well. I know, I know the government hasn't made ethnicity pay gap reporting mandatory, but companies are still reporting on that themselves. Um, I know ASOS did that last year, and I think there was another company, but I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but there are businesses doing that now. And I read this morning as well that the TUC is calling on the government to do an LGBT uh, pay gap reporting as well. So all of these different things might come to pass in the next couple of years. And, and then that may help to, to to build that transparency and create better pay for everybody. I think so. And I think certainly with equality, diversity, I think organisations are doing more now. They are more aware and they are looking at it more. So it will will hopefully lead to to more equality as well. Yeah, I think so. I'd I'd like to think that would help as well for for de- for sure for for everyone involved in that. So, fingers crossed, it does it does go somewhere. Yes, definitely. Fantastic. So something we like to ask all our podcast interviews is, what would you be doing if you weren't in the profession you're currently in? So for you, obviously, Liz, it'd be payroll. Well, this is a hard one because I'm passionate about payroll and the payroll profession. 
even when I was building and running a state agency with my husband, I continued to be involved in payroll, being a payroll tutor, a trainer. I was a, a payroll accreditation scheme assessor and a payroll consultant. So thinking of when I, if I'm not in payroll, what would I do? Took me a, a, some deep thought. And I love to learn. I like to be busy and I like to engage with people. So perhaps a lecturer is what I would do. But who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, you've obviously had a bit of experience in that anyway, haven't you, in terms of your role with the CIPP? So you That's never right. know could be something in the future. Yes, you never know. Exactly. <laughs> never say never. <laughs> That's it, 100%. You just you just don't know it's around the corner. So it's always good to have the options open. It is, definitely. Well, it has been lovely to have you on this episode today, Liz. Thank you so much for joining me and for your time. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation today. I have personally. It's been great. Yes, definitely. And thank you very much for having me on, Jade. It's been great. No problem at all. You're very welcome. So remember, everyone, we'll be back with another Friends in Benefits very soon. But in the meantime, you can listen to some of the past episodes featuring brands such as Virgin Money, Royal Opera House and Mazars online. So thank you for listening, everyone. Mm -hmm.